welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Austin Byler from Major League University keeps us going in 2022. Austin had a phenomenal playing career at the University of Nevada. He's drafted the ninth round by the Nationals in 2014 and the 11th round by the Diamondbacks in 2015. He's a semifinalist for the Dick Hauser Award. Austin founded Major League University with Nevada teammate QB Meyer. Major League University focuses on leadership and mental health. They've also started Project Sandlot NFTs to benefit underprivileged youth sports. This is a wide open conversation on peak performance, mental health, being open to asking for help, and NFTs. Let's welcome Austin Byler to the podcast. Here with Austin Byler, Major League University, now uh, Project Sandlot NFTs, uh, ninth round pick by the Nationals 2014, uh, 11th round uh, D-backs 2015 out of Nevada, and a red semifinalist uh, for the Dick Hauser Award. So uh, tremendous. Thank you for coming on with me, Austin. Ryan, I'm fired up, man. Thanks for having us, and uh, we're super stoked to get rolling. Yeah. Hey, who, just give me some of your mentors, uh, peak performance side, baseball side. Who are some of your mentors? Some of my favorite mentors so far, uh, Aaron Nielsen. He was one of my coaches my freshman year of collegiate ball, so summer ball, actually. Um, that dude's been a huge mentor business and just life-wise. Jay Johnson, he's over at LSU now, one of my coaches for two years. He's unbelievable, been a huge mentor. Dean Wellams runs Team Elite Performance. He does a lot of the team building, culture, mental training. Uh, he's been huge. And then Alan Jager, man, he he came and spoke to us. And I was like, dude, what's this like hippie looking voodoo breathing stuff that you're talking about? And then uh, when I got out of the game and started to pursue Major League University, he was like, man, you got to leave them with something. Leave them with something. So we started talking about the visualization and a uh, big time mentor, man. Hey, when did the light bulb go on? Like, this is something that I, I really do want to do. It was my junior season of college. So that was in 2014. Uh, we had... Three different people come in, uh, Jager, Team Elite Performance with Dean, and then a, an amazing woman, Stanford psychologist, uh, Carlene Sugarman. And they all came in in the fall. 
And I was just kind of evaluating, you know, and at that time, I always wanted to do something, I think, beyond the game. I just didn't know what it was. And I saw how they presented. I saw how they connected with us and how they just reached the team and how it helped our team grow. And the the one that really just kind of turned the, the, the tide for me was the last one, Dean. He came in and he got us all out of our comfort zones. It was totally different than before. We didn't just listen to a presentation. We were like invested, engaging, talking with each other. And I'm like, Dean, I want to do this one day. I just don't know how I'm going to do it because I was super introverted. And so that was a, a moment there, 2014, where I'm like, hey, this would be something I'd really like to do in the future. You know, and, and a lot of it gets implemented in the fall. How did you carry that over into the spring then? We, the coaching staff did an incredible job. Uh, we had a, a ton of great leadership, but the coaching staff, they, they implemented it every day. We visualized before we went out there. We had 10 minutes of mental practice every single day without doubt, whether we're on the road, at home. So the coaching staff making it a staple almost forced some of us to buy in. Um, and for me, it took me like six or seven months until I started to struggle to really buy into the process of what we were doing. And I thought I was a pretty nice guy, right? And so it took me that long. I can't even imagine some teammates. So um, coaching staff, man, they set the, the the bar high. They really did a good job laying the expectation for us. And that's probably for all of us is, is the struggle piece. You know, mm. when, when you're starting to swim a little bit and you're searching, I think that's what, you know, the, the old saying, when the, the student is ready, the teacher will show up. I think for all of us, yes. it came from struggling on the field. Yes. Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. It was right when you get down to those struggles, man, you start to realize there's something that should probably change and you need to make some shifts. And now you're open to that advice. You're like, OK, what, what are you telling? Because if it could help me perform, I'm all ears. <laughs> You know, and I follow you on Twitter. You're a great Twitter follow. You're putting great content out. Major League University is a great follow also. And, and I think about this a lot. Is there a mental health cost for trying to be elite? Oof. No. Uh, it depends. It depends. So I, I, I guess cause, cause your... let me reframe that. Yes, yes, yes. I, I look at Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, uh, Robin Williams, uh, Steve Jobs. Mm. Uh, the elite of elite, um, you can go down the laundry list of, of musicians, Chris Cornell, um, that obviously things probably don't go as planned or aren't as rosy. And, and that was always my question with, with really trying to attain being elite. Does that come with a mental health cost? Because you are going to have to sacrifice mm. some things. Is there a little bit of a mental health cost with trying to get to the top of the top? It's, it's a great question and I love it. And I, I really believe that there actually is, I think at some points with reason though. So kind of how I see it is like, so like a Michael Jordan, or I know King Griffey Jr. had his battles with, with mental health and a lot of the elite athletes, the hall of famers. And when you're that good, you invest so much time into your sport and your craft that everything else kind of just goes by the wayside. So the family kind of out the door sometimes or personal life, and it's just strictly that sport. And I think you have to be that way. You have to be a little crazy. If you're not crazy about what you do, you're, you're not so invested in it. But with the mental health cause, I think that there's a time where you've got to check yourself a little bit and realize that if I'm in the right place, everything else is going to fall into place. If I'm not in the right place, especially mentally in the headspace, it's going to be really tough for me to do what I love to do at a high level. Although some of these guys and girls can do it consistently. So I think it comes with a little bit of a cost. And then once they get to that level, they start to realize like, okay, my life, my heart, my soul set, my mindset is so much more important than all the accolades that I might be getting, or at least that's the hopes of it. Uh, there's definitely a big time cost, though, if you find your identity in your sport. If you can have an identity in something outside of just that sport and you know who you are as a person and a human being, that you have value and that you have self-worth, 
then I don't think that the mental health piece is as big. How do we get people to separate? I mean, for me, that's mm. the biggest question is, is I think all of us at, at one point or another put our self-worth on, on how we were performing and, and how we were doing and, you know, our, whatever we chose, whatever field we chose. How do mm. we get people to maybe separate between, okay, this is, this is what you do. This isn't who you are. It's, it's an awesome question. I think setting some boundaries uh, and that's, tough because when we're so invested in it and we want to be great at it, we sacrifice a lot to go do that thing, whatever that is. Uh, but setting some boundaries for ourselves as far as just, hey, w- when I'm here, I'm here. Like when I'm locked in here, when I'm in the office, when I'm doing my craft, when I'm speaking, when I'm playing or performing or coaching, that's what I'm doing here. But the titles that I get, the accolades that I get, the schools I speak to that I get to go to, like none of that stuff really matters at the end. It's about me chasing my passions and where I want to go in my life. So I think for a lot of people, when they're coming down to separating it, and we, we do this with a lot of athletes, the very first day is always about identity. And, and almost every single time the kids will come up and they'll go, dude, like, I didn't realize that all my identity was made up in this sport. Like my day at night, like after my game, I'm either super happy or super mad. I'm finding all my value and results and my stats and whatever else is going on physically that's tangible that we can see. But having things that you're passionate about outside of the sport or outside of your craft or coaching is so key. And I see it all the time, especially with really good coaches. They're just so dialed into the books, right? They get no sleep. You see the bags under their eyes. I'm watching a lot of the NFL right now. Um, And they're invested, right? They're extremely good for a reason. But there's got to be a time where we say, hey, I need a little breather or I need to take a step back or I just need to have that self-awareness to understand when I'm spinning out of control a little bit or finding too much value in whatever's happening on that field. Is that some of chasing perfection as opposed to chasing excellence? 100%. 100%. It really is, uh, isn't I totally it? Agree. I mean, I think that's the reframing piece for someone that is trying mm-hmm. to be elite is you're not trying to chase perfection. Uh, you're trying to be excellent or as good as you were yesterday, try to be better tomorrow. I think the reframing piece sometimes helps with that because I think that's what it boils down to is they're, they're trying to be perfect, and that's just not possible as a human to be perfect. Mm. You're, you're spot on. And, and that's where I think a lot of us fall short because we want to be perfect. And then the next part is nobody likes to fail. It's like you go into a room, yeah, hey, who it likes hurts. to fail? And, and nobody, yeah, nobody puts up the hand. Uh, so just having a, a healthy relationship with failure is a really good way to kind of process through a lot of these things identity wise and just understanding that, yes, I might fail. Yes, it might not go my way, but that doesn't define who I am or what I do. It's the impact and the avenue that I'm using to make that impact on the people that are in my corner. You know, and I, I think about technology, social media quite mm. a bit, um, you know, and, and you retweeted that with, with suicidal ideation, depression, and and really since... Facebook started, uh, that's where you start to see the numbers kick up. And I think about Instagram and TikTok, which are beautiful resources. Um, but you think about the, the filtering that's going on. You know, I just think there's unrealistic expectations for kids out there right now. I have, I have a college-age kid and a high school-age kid. And, and I think there's unrealistic expectations because what you're seeing and, and what the eye is telling you you're seeing are not actual things. They're fake because they're augmented. Um, you know, is that something that we can help maybe a little bit more with too? Like try to consider the source and, and consider what you're looking at. But I, it's so hard because I, I fall into that trap too, where I look at Instagram or I look at TikTok and I'm like, oh man, that person is strikingly beautiful. And then they pull the filter off and they're like, okay, that person looks like everybody else does. 
<laughs> yeah. um, you know, that, that's fascinating to me what AI has been able to do and in good way and a bad way. And I just, I think that's another part that we have to try to continue to educate people on is like this, what you're seeing is not actually real. It's not real. Yes. Ryan, there's a, a, we did a crazy, so working with like male and female athletes, I'm seeing a lot. And, and this isn't just for female athletes, right? I think some people yeah, get lost. Sure. Oh, it's the male it's gaze. The male gaze is a real thing as well. It, it's it's huge. And so I'm, I'm going to give two examples from it. One, we, we did a, a some work with a football team, a high school football team, and this was during their playoff time, right? So they're getting ready for their first game of playoffs. And we, we say, hey, all right, there's 50, 60, however many kids. Hey, pull out your phones and let's check our screen time. Like, let's just see how much time we spend on our phone. And the average in the room was six hours a day. So I'm okay, six hours a day during football season, which by the way, that's five, six days a week of practice. And you got school on top of that. And it's not online school now, right? For most it's in school, at least in Arizona and six hours a day. And then we did the math. We're like, okay, six hours a day for a day. Great. I get it. Like I've probably spent six hours before on my phone too, but let's do the math over a year. And in a year span, that is over 92 days that you have spent full days, 92, 24 hour days that you have been on your phone investing in whatever else it is that you're looking at. And when you're a high school kid, and if I'm a high school kid and I have all this technology, I'm assuming most of the stuff I'm looking at isn't always the best things. And so what I'm looking at and seeing with my eyes is filling my mind and my body every day. What I listen to in my ears is what's filling my mind, my thoughts and my body every day. And so just seeing the music and hearing the language on some of these high school campuses and college campuses, I'm blown away. I'm like, well, what are we doing here? But it's almost like you're just a product of the society that we're living in. And so it goes back to the boundary piece. The next step to it was there was a 12 year old athlete. I used to work with them when I was up in uh, the Bay area doing a little coaching. And he called me the other day and he, and he's like, Hey Austin. I'm like, what's up Colt? Like, how are you doing, man? He's like, uh, not very good. Like what you're always like super happy you're at the field all the time you're a grinder like what's going on dude and he said i keep seeing videos of all of these kids my age who are way better than me and i said what do you mean he's like well on tiktok and instagram all these 12 and 13 year olds are hitting all these home runs and i haven't hit a home run yet and i'm like dude what and so there's this, a great kobe bryant video it's like nine minutes long and it talks about him he's like hey Check the, the people who are 12 and 13 who are really good. And let's see where they are when they're 17 and 18, if those same habits occur. And so I sent them the video and I'm just talking, but it was the same thing, that identity and comparison piece via social media. It's so hard when they're in the moment, though. You know, you got a 12, 13-year-old mm -hmm. kid that's in the moment. He's not going to be able to see five, six years down the road, or they're looking too far ahead. And I think with the suicidal ideation, that's where we're seeing it is kids are seeing everybody's best bolt. But then they're looking that I'm not that good. I'm not as good as everybody else. And, and they're wondering what's going to happen to them six, seven years down the road. And I think that's where we're seeing the issues is one, you see everybody's best bolt. So you think you're mm -hmm. not very good. But then you're like, well, I can't get to that point. And they don't realize that everybody struggles at some point. The best kids at that age probably aren't going to be the best kids at 18 or 19. But it's really hard to try to tell a 12, 13 or 14 year old kid that because they're not going to listen to it. It's just not going to sink in yet. Yep. They, they just, they, they don't see it, right? It's hard for us to see it. And, and I fall victim to this too, just like you said yourself. And I'll look at it and say, man, like these people are, they're, they're doing such a great job or they're like killing it. Or I want to be at this level or, or how do they get so much engagement or how do they get so much interaction? And then I'm like, okay, wait, this is all online or right? this is all virtual and great. You might know a lot of people online and maybe you connect, who knows what happens, but how about the people that are in our real life who I'm seeing face to face every day, my family members, my fiance, my friends, the coaches, the teams, like those are the people that really matter. And if we take care of 
what truly matters, all that stuff is just extra. So, it, but it's hard, right? Cause you almost attach your identity to it. And then it goes back to the success piece. Like if I'm having success doing it, you're like, yeah, I feel good. But if I'm hitting a lot of misses and, and there's no retweets or there's no likes, or there's no cool filters, or it doesn't look the same as that other person's, we almost think like, man, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not good enough. I'm just going to pump the brakes and stop. It's like, no, we got to keep moving and keep going into the storm. We have a case study going on right now in fear and ego with Urban Meyer. Mm. I think it's a classic example of what fear and ego look like. Um, you know, a guy who's probably never had a ton of not success. He's always had success along the way, and he's in a new place and obviously hasn't handled it well. But, you know, talk a little bit about your take on that and what's going on with him. It's a, it's a product of some of what this, this whole environment is like, man. So you, you see this stuff off the field, right? That's a, a big distraction. Um, once that happens, you lose true, uh, lose trust. And so I think for all of us, trust is the hardest thing to earn and the easiest thing to break. And when you're a head coach and everybody's looking at you and you've had tons of success throughout your collegiate career, and you have this kind of expectation and this standard and all the books you've written and all the stuff that you've published, you expect that. And then you go in and you see, I guess you can say the dark side of it, of the bar scene, right? And the pictures that surface and the videos. And then you see how he's handled some of the coaches in that locker room and some of the blame game and, and things that just don't align. Um, to me, there might be a deeper cause. Maybe he's not where he's supposed to be. Maybe there's something off the field that's been bothering him that's bleeding onto the field or the locker room. Um, but it's even more important for our athletes and especially ones in the professional life that are in the limelight all the time to just be aware of your surroundings. I mean, just be aware and be aware of how you treat people. I hear the, the Urban Meyer and how we're treating coaches. And then I go and hear Cliff Kingsbury or Sean McVay and how they speak to their coaches. And they're empowering, they're trusting, they're giving them the authority to run with and do their thing. And when we give people a little bit of a leeway to let them do their thing, we'll be surprised with how productive and how successful they can be in their own terms. So it's a, it's a crazy deal, but it's, it just goes to show coaches aren't exempt to this. And they must be aware, too, of their surroundings and how they speak to others and how their actions can show up in that locker room. I mean, at some point, you have to take accountability and apologize, don't you? I mean, at some point, like if, if you're going to get if you're going to get some healing, if there's going to be some healing from that, I think at some point you have to, to take ownership of it mm. and admit you screwed up and then apologize and then try to start the healing. Because if you don't, you've got you've got no shot if you don't do that. You have no shot. You got to take the ownership and, and that at least standing up in front of the clubhouse and saying, look, guys, I effed up. Like I messed this thing up. This is my fault. I, I take 100% accountability for this year or for this my decisions or whatever else it might be that that is going on in that clubhouse that we don't even see. But when you don't do that, then there's the questions and there's the gossip behind the scenes and there's the media right at that level. And it just becomes a cancer for that team. The playbook docuseries was on Netflix and Doc Rivers was in there and Ubuntu is something that he talked about and it kind of goes into this. Ubuntu is a, a good frame, but it hasn't dove into it yet. It's an African term and it's about, it talks about community and not that you're going to cover up for things. And it talks about like when people screw up, the, the community leaders will take that person and talk about how good they are and their positives and, and confront it in that way. But that's a good term for coaches out there that are listening in Ubuntu because it is, it's all about community and putting the community itself first over the individual and, and how the community's positive and what happens positively for the community will affect the individual positively. So for any coaches out there, I would dive into it. I'm reading a, a business book called Ubuntu right now that's really good. It's, got a, it's almost like a John like Gordon-esque book. 
Uh, it's nice. a very quick read, uh, but it's a great term and probably something that some teams can navigate or, and gravitate towards, um, you know, something. And he, Doc Rivers said that's why they won the, the NBA championship because that was their team motto was for that whole year. And they had some high ego guys on that team back then with Kevin Garnett. Um, there were some really high ego guys on that, that Celtics team that won a world championship, but that's what he talks about with that team. It's pretty cool. That's yeah, the really Doc good. series is really good, really good. Now, the flip side of that, University of Houston, teammate kicks a trash can over, and then you've got a kid that comes behind and, and shows a positive way to lead. Uh, obviously, you don't want to lose in that situation, but handle it the right way. But you've got a really good example of somebody showing leadership that, you know, I didn't kick the trash can over, but I'm going to go ahead and clean this up. Mm, so good. That, that was a, a huge highlight. I like looking for the positives on social media. I'm like, man, this was sweet. Uh, my fiance sent it to me. She's like, this is awesome. I'm like, this is being posted. <laughs> this is so good. Uh, but you show, you shows the character, right? It's like, um, there was a video, I think a couple years ago, Dak Prescott picking up trash in like just a random walking through a mall or something. And he's like picking up trash, maybe he's outside, but it's like those little things that we don't think anything about and we kind of just ignore them but that's what true leadership looks like right is going out of, out of your comfort zone a little bit and doing those things a little extra um it's so powerful I love otani too there were, there was clips of mm -hmm. otani all summer of of walking in the dugout and picking up trash yes but good yes. stuff good stuff um yes. how did you know when it was time to stop playing it's that's awesome i love it uh the heart the heart wasn't in it the passion um, I went through a lot of different things during my playing days, um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of fear, um, addiction for a long time. And I still had success physically, right? My stats still look good and everything looked great until it finally caught up with me in professional baseball um, after my first year. And uh, from that moment on, those next two and a half, three years or so were kind of rocky, right? They were very rocky. But I remember in 2017, it was right before I was going into 2018 spring training, um, I met an incredible mentor actually at my alma mater high school. And we were doing a baseball camp. I was just kind of coming out, helping out. And um, he's with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And he's like, dude, you should come to this Bible study with me. Um, I do the, the Arizona FCA. Like, Bible study, dude, I'm going to burn that coffee shop down, dude. There's no way I'm coming in there. You're not going to allow me in there, dude. He's like, no, just come on in, man. There's a couple of ex-players ex and some good guys that you can meet, good networking. Like, just come on in. Right. And so I go have some coffee and I see like a four time World Series champ and like a, a legendary high school coach. I'm seeing these guys who are dudes in my mind. Right. And um, they're all broken. Right. They all have the same things in their past that they were uh, voicing being vulnerable with. And so um, I go into spring training. And at that point, I was OK being done. But I also had this new form of mental clarity going in because I started to work on myself again. It was like, hey, like revamp the, the circle here. And so um, once I went to indie ball after I was released by the Diamondbacks that spring train. I played indie ball for about a month. And I remember I was hitting 072. I was like four for 52. And uh, I knew I called Palmer is his name Palmer. And I'm like, coach, look, man, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm the happiest I've ever been playing the worst I've ever played. And he's like, dude, that might be where, you know, you've kind of found yourself. So um, right when that happened, I was released and, and I knew, hey, it's time to move on. We got to do something about this. I saw too many guys in the locker room, too many coaches and, and players finding their identity too much in the sports. And just I went through the so same thing in oh. ball. I was in there, you know, I'd be, you know, in, in bossy field in the clubhouse. There's guys 28 years old putting ankle braces and knee braces on. And I was like, you know what, I'm I'm 
gonna be done after this year because I, <laughs> yeah. I just I, that's not what it was for me. And I'm glad, you know, not everybody gets to end it on their own terms. Um, I think that's why you see a lot of people get salty towards the end is is it doesn't mm. end on their own terms. And you know, I think being able to end it on your own terms, I think, gives you a little bit more closure maybe than some other guys that don't get a chance to end it on their own terms. Hey, how yes. long were you self medicating? Uh, it was about five years, five years, 2012 I think we all battled it as 17. players. How do you, if you don't have those skills, I think you're going to naturally gravitate to something that's going to help you check out for a little bit if, if you mm. need it. I think that's tough. I think all of us have gone through that at some point or another where you're going to self-medicate because that's, that's all you know. Um, mm. So it was about five years for you. About five years, man. It all started with Hard though because you're still pu putting up numbers. You know, I think yeah. that's the, the hard part is you're still putting up numbers. So it's like, okay, you know, do I need something else? Which obviously do because it's not healthy. But if you're putting up numbers, I think it's just like anything else, like trying to make change. It's hard to, to make any sort of change if you're putting up numbers. Yep. Yeah, when I saw the success happening still, I'm like, you know, two All-Americans, All-Star and professional baseball, leading the league in homers. Like, I got all these cool things happening. I'm like, man, top 20 prospect like I, I don't i don't need to change right i don't need to change. if it's not broke don't fix it but you're right man it's like when you when you're in that moment that's like your checkout zone for some people it's video games for others it's reading for others it's prayer meditation for me it was self-addiction right and so for this it was like hey i know after the game no matter what happens i can check out yeah. and sometimes even before the game i can be checked out going in which helps me play better out of which is the weirdest thing in the world so um yeah it was a it was a long road man but but very grateful to get out of it um on the healthy end you know talk about starting major league university you know kubi meyer um yeah. you know how does that happen because you and i've talked about entrepreneurship and you know how do you get to that point where okay let's this is something we're going to dive into yeah, we were sitting in. So ironically, me and QB were, were college teammates. And then we both were on the same indie ball team for that month. And I don't know how it worked out, but somehow it did. And we were both sitting in this uh, retirement home. So they put us up. There was three guys who got lucky enough to go into this retirement home in Schaumburg, Illinois. So 75 and older people. And then there's three college dudes, right? And so we're, we're in this retirement home. There's no AC in Chicago, Illinois in the middle of the summer, which was not fun. And so we're sitting there in this room and we're like, dude, we got to do something for mental health. Like his family's experienced it. My family has both of us personally have. And so like, let's do something with mental health for people. And so we're coming up with these like prototypes for like this meditation globe and like all this stuff for meditation. And then we're finally like, what if we just did something for athletes because we know athletes and let's just start with baseball and then kind of see how it bleeds into other sports because we know this goes everywhere but um there's a good opportunity we already know people and so we're like hey cool and then he brings up the name major league university we're like all right let's see if it's taken right and so we look it up and, and i used to play video games so there was major league gaming and then there's major league soccer right there's major league baseball but there was no university and we're like dude this could be the perfect name for what we're trying to do here and then we'll just articulate it all around mental health and, and mindset leadership training tools and so that's kind of how it started man so me and cuba were in that uh retirement home chopping it up man a lot of a lot of cool sketch papers diving into what it was and we totally went off the rails of where we were even going man it was a, a year and a half of just trying to figure it out and then uh, we finally got streamed lined on the mental health piece are you seeing things work differently with the high school kids you're working with as opposed to the, the college kids or is it pretty similar for tool sets that that are working for everybody or does it depend on the age it's pretty similar for most um the biggest things that we see man is, is a lack of confidence um putting too much pressure on themselves or external 
pressures that are happening with family or coaches. Um, and then the identity piece too, with, with all athletes at all levels. So finding healthy outlets has been a big thing. Um, for the most part, it's the same stuff. Uh, I think the college guys buy in a little easier because they've had that experience through high school. They're a little more mature. The high schoolers, when they do buy in, it's crazy to see the difference that it makes in them right away. And you can see it in their face. That's my favorite part is like, you come back to a team and you get to see them after a little while and like their eyes are up, their cheeks are grinning. Like you can see that smile with their eyes. So um, it's probably roughly the same amount of skills and tools, but we'll kind of articulate it differently with the verbiage and, and some of the sayings that we'll use depending on the school or location. Where's the first step? So, you know, the initial meeting with that team, where's the first step with them? First step's identity. We get them all in the room. I, I share my story going through the addiction, kind of going through uh, false vices and using other things to mask the physical and mental pains that I went through. And that's how I kind of lay the ground every single time because it, it relates, right? I think the one thing is like, are we coming in to speak at them or are we speaking with them? And so if we can find a way to connect with them early and say, hey, look, been in your shoes, did the same things that some of us have been doing in here or that you've experienced. I know they see it on their campuses, even in high school and college. And so just kind of relating to them in the beginning, build the trust with them. And then it's like, okay, you can really lay anything in their form and they usually are adapting and, and learning it. So um, that's the first step though, man. It's that identity piece for that first 15, 20 minutes of that first talk. Hey, did you work the 12 steps when you were trying to get right? Did you work the 12 steps at all? 12 steps. I program. did not. I did and, you know, everybody know. goes through a different, I, I know some people that are, are tried and true on the 12 steps that still do it, still mm -hmm. go to meetings and, you know, some people haven't. And I think that's the, the thing to bring to light is like, there's a lot of different paths to getting healthy mm. that yes, 12 step is one. There's other ways to do it. Um, you know, and I, I have good conversations with people about the 12 step program. I, I think it, it's phenomenal for some people, but for me, rehashing maybe things that you've done wrong in your life, is it? is it healthy to keep rehashing those things? And I know it does work for some people, but I don't know if that's healthy just to keep going back and keep hammering your head against the wall on, on things that you've done in the past that, that you regret. Um, is it healthy to keep bringing it up? But I know it does work for some people. Yeah, I think some people, it's, you're right, man. It's like this, uh, there's no one size fix all. You know, it's like we all got different ways to process. And for some people, that's perfect. For others, it's like, I don't need to even, I don't even want to think The about decision it. to stop is the biggest one. I mean, I think everybody, you know, they talk about rock bottom or whatever. I think it's the decision to actually make a change. And, and without that decision, you know, whether it's smoking, drinking, drugs, whatever, without that decision to make a change, it's never going to happen because human, hu the human will is extremely strong. Um, you know, so I think that's where it all starts for everybody is just that initial that, you know, I've had enough and I, I do need to make some changes. That's where it goes, man. You, you've got to get to that point. And until you get to that point, you're never going to change. I have, I have so many ex-teammates, man, who are still doing the same things. It's just escalated to more and more and more. And until they make the change to say, hey, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of feeling this way. I remember, Ryan, it, it was crazy. The big one crazy. for me is the feeling. I just don't like feeling like mm -hmm. crap all the time. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to wake up lethargic and snooze for three hours and wake up at 11. You know, there was a, I remember I, to my one of my mentors, I had this like, page long essay. It was probably like two Microsoft word pages long on Facebook messenger. And it was a plead for help to my mentor. I was like, man, I can't keep living this way. I know I'm doing the wrong things. I just don't know how to stop. I, I can't stop this addiction. And I never hit send. It's like, if I would have just hit send and asked for help and just been courageous, you know, I, I thought it was being a coward. Instead, it would have been very courageous to just ask for help. Maybe he could have called, helped change him, and who knows, but that's why we get to do what we do now. Yeah. No, it's tremendous. Just, 
you know, that's the thing is everybody thinks they're doing this by themselves. Mm. But just you writing that letter, you know, for anybody listening in, like that's a journaling piece. I write a lot of stuff down that, that nobody that doesn't see the light of day, but I think helps me get things off my chest. I did this as a player too. I journaled that nobody ever saw it, but it was to get things off my chest. And I think that was a, a semi-productive way of, of getting things off my chest and journaling where, or maybe even that letter, because you know it's there, even though you didn't send it, maybe mm. it was a, a nudge in the right direction that, okay, it's, it's coming. Yes. Yes. It was like, Hey, it's time to, it's time to change. Yeah. Like, we'll see how long it takes, but it's time to make a change. <laughs> that was good. Quick break for another one of our sponsors, Team Builder. Team Builder is offering both in-season and off-season strength and conditioning programs specific to pitchers or position players. These programs come free with any Team Builder free trial. Their software is trusted and used by the best. Team Builder has helped propel many teams to win championships and most recently the World Series Championship Atlanta Braves. Personally, we used Team Builder in my last couple of years at Western Illinois. You can get the program once you start a 14-day trial with Team Builder. Use promo code ABCA when you sign up for your free trial at teambuilder.com. That is T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com. Now back to the podcast. Okay, now the NFTs. I didn't know yeah, it's, yeah. I, I love it. You know, Project Sandlot. Um, get for, I, this is all new to me. That, you know, the Bitcoin stuff, NFTs, you know, was it non-functional to, tokens? Yep, um, yep. How does that start? Yeah, so uh, my, my partner, Ray Mack, he's kind of joined into the business here the last couple of years, and he was coaching collegiate ball for eight, nine, ten years or so, and he just was like, dude, there's this NFT thing. And I'm like, well, what the heck are these, dude? He's like, it's like a digital collectible. It's like a one of one of a trading card. So think of Babe Ruth, but there's only one of this Babe Ruth. And I'm like, okay, like, where do you get them? He's like, online. And I'm like, well, can't you just screenshot the picture? He's like, yeah, but you don't own that picture. I'm like, okay, dude, you got to fill me in. And so I was a hater, right? And I, I was like, no way, like nothing new in here. I'm just dead streamlined of what we're doing. And uh, it took about four or five months for him to start convincing me. And he's like, dude, we need to create our own project and we need to do it around mental health and, and supporting youth athletes and being able to impact empower coaches and just do really cool stuff. Like have a lot of good utility with this project. And I'm like, all right, dude, if you want to take the lead and go for this thing, let's do this thing. And so he's been coaching me up. He's the right man to ask about it. But um, to me, it's just it, it was a really good opportunity for us to impact a lot of people doing what we do. And it's almost like this different light of reaching more people. And one of our big goals with MLU is let's impact millions of people in this world. And so this is another stepping stone to help that start to happen. And for us, we can do so many cool things with the income that comes in through these really cool projects that we're doing and partnering with other ones. What's the initial for somebody that does want to dive into it? Where's the initial place to start with NFTs? Yeah, we, we have a, an amazing article that lists out the, the first four steps to go out and, and buy it. Um, the first step is getting some sort of a wallet. So you can think of it like E-Trade or yep. wherever you use your investment platforms. Um, for me, I use Coinbase and Coinbase has been easy clutch. Um, download the Coinbase 
invest in Ethereum. So it's ETH, Ethereum. And that's kind of the, the cryptocurrency that's being used to purchase most of these. Um, and then from there, this is where it gets a little confusing, right? Because there's so many steps to this. Hopefully it's going to be easier. But after you get the crypto in your Coinbase, you transfer it to another app called MetaMask, MetaMask. And it, all that is, is like the signage, right? So that's like your, your online signature to help you clarify that you've purchased something. Um, and then you go on to OpenSea.io or whatever the, the minting website. So for us, projectsandlot.com, and you can go on there. And once it's released and ready, you can go click the mint or click the buy and you can go purchase those. So there's some weird steps in there that I think create some hesitancy with a lot of people that are getting in, but to keep it simple. It's just an education piece. Boom. As with anything, yep. it's just yep. an ed once people get educated on it, I think it's easier to make that make that step. Sure. Yep. No, you're, you're spot on, spot on. Hey, when, you know, you start Major League University, did the uh, the podcast come initially with that or is that something you guys added on? Yeah, we added on probably about a year into it. We were, we were always thinking about doing a podcast. Um, I started a couple of different ones that were just kind of random. It was just me and then it was guests and then it was like a mix and we kind of just evolved to champion school and, and we like that. It's been pretty simple. We just bring a lot of coaches and peak performance. We're trying to kind of branch out to more other realms of, of life to really just impact give viewers another another voice, I guess. Um, so that kind of came along with the business too. Who's been your favorite guest so far? Oh man, there's been a lot of really good ones. Um, one of the ones we did recently, great personality, Tyler Zuber. He's a, a right-handed pitcher with the Royals. He was awesome. Um, man, we had Coach Johnson on there. We had Eric Backich on there. We had Brian Green was great, man. He brought the noise during COVID. It was, was really cool. Um, honestly, probably Pat Murphy could have been the best one because, uh, and I don't want to say best because I don't want to shame anyone else because everybody's been awesome, but he was in his car driving on the Zoom and there's like 50 people live during uh, COVID, right? Because nobody's doing anything. So they're all like tuning in to watch and, and he's in his car, like just going free balling, like it's not being recorded. And it was so raw and perfect that uh, I think that one might've been the best one. Just because he is the out there. He's, he goes way back. <laughs> yeah. Pat and my dad go way back to the old Notre Dame Evansville days. So it's, it's there's awesome. a lot there. Um, <laughs> hey, what makes Coach Johnson the real deal? Because I think he is. I think he's one of the best that we have in the game. I mean, what makes him the real deal? His investment in building relationships he is spot on. Like the, the physical stuff, the skill stuff's great. He's super organized. He maximizes practice plans to the T. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how he does that. But above all else, his ability to connect with each individual on that team. And that's what really builds that team. And that's why he's been so successful. Um, I'll never forget, I was getting ready to sign. And it was a couple of days before signing in my junior season when I was drafted there. And it goes down to the last day. And the day before I called him and I said, coach, I'm signing. I can't do this anymore. Like the stress, the pressure, the, the feeling of uncertainty. I, I hate it. I got to do it. And he's like, wait, I'll be there in the morning. I'm like, what? You know, it's like seven o'clock at night, dude. 10 a.m. rolls around. He shows up to my house in Arizona. He's in San Diego and goes, look, let's go through the pros and the cons, and then we'll make the decision. And I'm like, all right, this is, you came out here on 12 hour notice and came to see me like, okay, that means I'm coming back to school. We're doing this thing, <laughs> but he's amazing. Man. And I was going to ask guy. you why you didn't sign. Um, and so, you know, everybody has their, their deal. I mean, really, what did it boil down to for you coming back to your senior year besides coach Johnson coming to see you? 
Yeah, it, that was a big part. The coaching staff, everybody there was amazing. Uh, I was so blessed to have them. The teammates, too. We had eight seniors going into that year, all very talented that we grew up with each other for all those four years. And then going back to the commitment that I made in the beginning to play four years, um, I could have easily gone out. It probably would have been a great situation. Washington didn't have any first baseman at the time. It was a, a good way to get in. But weighing the money versus the experience. I knew I would never get that experience back. I knew we had a really good chance to go to Omaha, which we won't even talk about being snubbed, but that's another, another podcast. Uh, but uh, we had such a great chance to be successful. And so I love Reno too. Reno is like my favorite place on earth. So all of those together versus go make a little bit of money and play professional baseball. It's like, I know I'm probably going to be drafted next year. I probably won't get as much money, obviously, but uh, I won't ever get this experience back to maybe go to Omaha and get to compete with these guys one last time. You know, the transfer portal is a mess now, but how yes. do kids know they've got the right fit? I mean, I, I had the right fit. You had the right fit. Two good examples. Nevada's not a name brand school. Evansville's not a name brand school, but worked out great for both of us. I mean, how do kids know they've got the right fit? I think it's giving us some time, man, and not getting caught up and not playing right away. I mean, look at the, the rosters right now with COVID. These the rosters are insane. There's like 25-year-old juniors out there. I mean, come on. Like the, the college baseball is elite right now. And so if you're coming in as a freshman, the main thing that I hear is, oh, I want to leave because I'm not playing. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. And sometimes it's not it's gonna the be right the same, fit. It's going to be the same thing somewhere else. Exactly. It's like, dude, you might not play that first year. Go play summer ball, go get a lot better, come back in the fall ready to go earn a spot the next year. So for the kids out there, man, and especially the coaches, I know it's got to be challenging when you sign someone and then they want to transfer halfway through. Um, I think you know the right fit when you feel it in your heart with where you're at, but you got to do your due diligence on the place you're going to. I think some kids are so quick to just sign the contract and go somewhere that they don't really do any research on the school or get to know the area or really see how they like that fit if they could be in that part of the country or wherever it is that they're going um, school -wise. That's a big one for me is that you know kids aren't taking official visits anymore you know basically mm -hmm. they're taking official to the place that they've committed to and you know the NCAA could could switch some things they could allow kids to get on campus earlier for official visits it would save families money but it would allow kids to be able to make more informed choices because they could go back to taking their four or five visits and you know how much did you play as a freshman I uh, thankfully I played a lot. And, and here's I did why. There was, I did. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, sit, we're sitting here telling kids that to wait it out, but I sat the first seven yeah. games. I was terrible in the fall, so I didn't deserve to start. But I, I sat our first seven games, and then we didn't play very good, so I got a chance and I hit and I, I stayed in. But I, you and I, we could say, hey, you know, you need to to wait it out. But you and I are good examples that we actually. But that's part of picking the right fit too, mm. is being realistic and yeah it's okay to shoot for the moon but but shooting for the moon does come at a cost of maybe not getting on the field right away 100 percent, 100 percent. you're spot on there's and that's the thing it's like you want to go to the and just name and names but like the lsu the asu the cal state fortune right like the schools that are nationally known and then you get to that school and there's three dudes just as good or better than you that are older than you that are playing in front of you that have had success. So you're like, man, what do I do? Like, how do I get in here? It's like, go where you can play. Like if you're going to, if you, if that's your goal to go play, go play. If you want to go to Arkansas and ride the pine for two years and then come out as a junior and, and hopefully get drafted, then do your thing there. But you got to know who you are and you got to know yourself a little bit going into that, which I think is a challenge for a lot of kids going into college. Yeah. There's unrealistic ex expectations now, I think from, from kids yes. and from parents. Uh, yes. as far as what college actually is and, and at, at every level. 
Um, I go all over the place and see every level of college baseball. There's great baseball at every level. There's great mm. coaches at every level. There's great players at every level. And so I think sometimes those expectations from parents and players get skewed that you're really good right now, and that's why you're getting that opportunity. But there's a lot of really good dudes at the next level. A lot. Yep. A lot. Yep. So, um, you know, how are you talking the failure, Pete? You know, we talked about failure with the kids that you're working with. I mean, how are you helping them through? You know, baseball's a tough sport. You know, it's it. Mm. There's gonna you're gonna get kicked in the teeth. So, how are you helping them work through maybe that first time that they're gonna get challenged and maybe not get the results that that they want? Yeah, it's it's a lot of reframing what failure really is to them. And, and to me, I always tell them, hey, failure is your greatest learning opportunity. Failure is just a stepping stone to success, and we must fail to grow. So if we can just learn to accept it, which is there's the part, the hardest part, but learning to accept that failure is going to happen. I'm going to strike out. I'm going to give up a hit. I'm going to not have a good performance all the time. But that doesn't define me. It's the next opportunity that defines me. So I just challenge them to, to change their mindset towards it and say, hey, when we do fail, I don't care if you fail. Like, I don't, I don't care how bad you do in a weekend, but I do care how you respond to that failure. How's your body language? How's your mentality? How's your self-talk? How good of a teammate are you when you fail? Do you sit in the corner or do you get up on the bench uh, and are on the fence and start cheering your teammates on? So it's a lot of reframing the failure and learning to have a better relationship with failure that it's going to happen, but let me go down to, to the whiteboard and think about how can I improve from this? What can I learn from this experience? What did I get better from in this, this area of my game? And so just having the athletes learn to accept it. And then I, I go back to my experience. I'm like, I didn't accept failure very easy. I hated it. Try to hate it. And we all hate it. But when we learn to accept that it's going to happen and I can get better in different ways because of that, it's like this new perspective that we have moving into that situation. So uh, the reframing piece has been huge, just reframing our, our, our thoughts and then self-talk, finding mantras, finding uh, different power phrases, we call it, that you can use either running into your performance in the middle of it, stepping out, stepping in. The breath work is huge. Uh, we've talked a lot about that. The, the breathing is massive, but just giving them What are them some power reset, phrases but... that, that you have some athletes use and what are some of their go-to power phrases? One, there's a one athlete, a division one pitcher, left-hander, a good dude. And he was really struggling with caring so much about what his coaches thought. Cause he's like, man, if I don't succeed, that coach isn't going to play me. Right. And so he was so invested in what coach was thinking. And I'm finally like, dude, we got to get you some sort of a phrase or something to just check out. Like, I don't care what it is. Let's just talk. And so he came up with it and I like them making it on their own, but I'll give suggestions. And so he said, carefree. And I'm like, carefree, okay, like, let's see how it works. And so he finally said, hey, when I get out on the mount, I'm freaking carefree, baby. And so he's just like slinging it carefree. I don't care what the result is. I'm just going to keep pitching. And it was amazing. He had the best summer of his life and the best fall of his life. And he didn't change his mechanics. He didn't throw harder. He didn't throw softer. He just had a better mentality getting on the mound. When he walked a dude, it was back on carefree. I don't care. I'm going to get him out. It wasn't, oh, shoot, I walked him. What does coach think? So that was one. Um, I can do this is a big one. Let's go compete. I like physical actions. It just pumps me up. So I'll tell you, beat the chest, smack the leg, shake the hat, whatever you got to do physically to just kind of uh, rearouse those emotions in you to go compete. Let's just be a competitor on that field, right? We don't need to be perfect. Let's go out there and compete. Yeah, the Sharpie and the bill of the cap are great mm -hmm. reminders. F it was a big one. I had some guys that mm -hmm. had hard times throwing strikes and they would they would write F it underneath the bill of their cap yeah. and so they'd go to it and it's funny they started throwing a lot more strikes you know it's that free to fail mentality you know it, it really holds you back if, if you're really focused on not doing well that's what holds you back and and that may be a separator for the elite out there too is they're they have amnesia 
with bad performance. Mm. They learn from it, but it, it's done with. Like they they can turn around bad performances way quicker than other people can because they forget about it much quicker and it doesn't carry over into the next day. Yes, they have that short-term memory. You know, we hear it all the time in sports, especially baseball, hey, short-term memory, short-term memory. And then it's like, well, I'm carrying the baggage of two weeks ago. Yep. It's like, dude, we don't need to be carrying that baggage along with me. Like, let's drop that thing off at the airport, leave it there. It's new game, new that's opportunity. That's fear and ego too. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's that's where fear and ego get involved with with bad performances because, again, they're frightened that they're not going to do well the next day, and it does hurt when you don't perform well. You know, and that's that self evaluation and and putting your self worth on your performance. That's what drives that fear and ego is because your head space is not where it needs to be to to go out and compete the next day. Yes. Hey, yes, do you have a fail on. forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to set you back? Um, and looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you. Yeah. I think just leaving baseball, leaving professional baseball. I, I thought that was like, uh, I got nothing. Well, actually another one outside of that. So this is for anyone outside of that or coaches, right. Trying to make a change. Um, when I was in, I was living in the Bay area right after I finished up baseball. Um, and I was there for about a year. And so I was working at a, a great job, right. It was well-paying. It was cool. Sales were all, I was in sports. So I liked it. And, um, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, it wasn't my passion. And so I remember it was right before COVID. It was in, I think, early February. And I finally got the nuts, right? It, it took me six months to do this, by the way. So it took a while. And I said, you know what? I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to go pursue MLU full time. I'm going I'm to do it. Like, it's time to do it. And at this point, like, I'm not getting really paid for a lot of speaking engagements that much. Like, it's kind of hit or miss. And I'm getting a good income. And in the Bay Area, my, my rent is 2800 a month, right, for like 500 square feet. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm tired, dude, how am I going to do this? And I finally just said, it's over with. I'm done. Like, I'm done with it. We got to move on. So I came to my CEO. I said, sir, like, I'm moving on. Like, this is my passion. He already had a good idea, too. He's, like, helping me with it. He was a great mentor, too. And I left. And I'm like, yes, like, I feel good. I got enough money to get me through the spring. Like, we're good. And then March hits, and all of a sudden, I'm about to run a camp and do this speaking thing. We're doing, like, a six-week mental training course in, in the Bay Area. And um, they, the, the AD calls and says, hey, look, you can't come today. Um, we're shutting down. What do you mean shutting down? It's like, yeah, we're, our whole city's going on lockdown. Okay. And so I, I'm like, what do we do? And so that's when COVID hit in 2020 and everything kind of spun off the rails. And then I'm thinking, oh crap, I can't even be on a campus. Like if I step on a campus, I'm getting freaking shot down. Like there's no way that I can do what I do. And then just kind of by the grace of God, man, Zoom's been a blessing and, and yep. COVID really just took our business to the next level with the need for mental health and for our athletes to really buy into this type of stuff. Yeah. It's amazing to think pre COVID, like I, obviously there's some things that have been awful about it, but you look at how everyone has pivoted and found ways to be productive and make the most of it. And it actually has made us better now that you can get face to face. I think all of these things that all of us have had to do have made us better and stronger going forward. It's, it's, you know, it's really gratifying to watch how people adjusted to the situation and made a, a great, great pivot on it. And I think it brought all of us a little bit closer. I think just brought everybody much closer in the community. 
It's you're, you're, you're so right. And the baseball community specifically has been amazing. I mean, seeing the amount of people stepping up and leading and just providing a positive outlet for others, connecting with others and what you guys are doing. Like there's so much positives that we can take out of this. Yes. There's a lot of scary things because of it, but if we look at the perspective shift and just see all the good and how people have adapted and, and really started to take the bull by the horns on it, man, there's, there's a lot of good that's come out of this for sure. Yeah. It crushed our barnstormer schedule. You know, fall of 2020, it crushed it. Um, you know, you get spoke in San Diego. What'd you think? And what was your experience? It was awesome. It was awesome. And one, it was good memories being back at San Diego State because uh, we had some good performances there and it's some bad, but some good. Um, and then number two, man, getting to see the coaches out there in person uh, together, right in the sun. It was a beautiful day. I mean, I'll do anything in San Diego, man. That's my favorite spot in the world. So uh, it was awesome, man. Great experience. Very well done, too. Very well done. What are you looking forward to the convention? I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of people that I haven't seen in a long time and a lot of people I've talked to on Twitter or via podcasts like this that I haven't met in person yet. So uh, just getting to connect with coaches, getting to see people that we've gotten to know uh, and build relationships with online through COVID, right? And um, just getting to see people and then experience this is my first time. So I've heard incredible oh, wow. things. We have a, a oh man, it's going to be a, a an eye opener, right? A, kind of a culture shock, but we're fired up to be out there, man. And it's going to be a great experience for sure. Hey, what are your go-to routines I mean, you've made some great life changes. So what are your go-to daily or nightly routines? Yeah, uh, the, I'm big on the morning routines. I should probably get a little better at nighttime routines, right? Just hold myself accountable. But the morning side, every single day, cold shower, meditation, prayer. Cold shower, meditation, prayer. That's my, my go-to big three. Um, I used to journal a lot. water? freezing i don't even know i just flip it on the the very little smidge and so in az it's not as cold as maybe it was in the bay area but now that it's getting colder out it's hey when did you add colder. that in because it's getting a lot of play now people like doing it and really appreciate i mean there are a lot of health benefits to it but when did you start to add the cold shower in yeah 2018 uh, i heard it from well i saw wim hof and then i heard it from another person on some podcast and i'm like you know what I'm gonna try this whole thing out. And then I go in, try it. And I'm like, no way I'm doing this again. And then I'm like, wait, there's some positives, right? You got to control your breathing. You got to manage your self-talk. You've got to slow yourself down a little bit. And the energy that you feel after it's like next level, better than coffee. Although I love coffee. So uh, it's a, it's the a breathing's big a big one. I was in San Diego for the breeders cup and I went in the ocean, but I did the Win Hof breathing before I went in and it helped like literally I was like, Oh, I should have been doing this a long time ago with the breathing. Like the breathing was the biggest piece of helping me be able to get into the water. Cause the water wasn't that bad. Um, yeah. you know, that, so it was the breathing piece for me. And now I don't do the shower part. I'm, I'm a softy when it comes to the shower. My shower is, <laughs> is hot. I can't, I haven't made that next step. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to listen to somebody maybe course me to do it. Cause I, I just can't, I haven't been able to make that next step yet with the cold shower. Yeah. The, the first step was super hot to super cold. It was like the contrast, right? You go from the hot tub to the cold tub. Um, it's been, dude, I wish I would have done that way more when I played because just the mental clarity that you have when you do it, the challenge, right? You, you've accomplished something tough for the day. Some people make their bed or other people run a mile or whatever it is. But for me, that's just what helps kind of set my day off with the challenge that I can task off. Boom. I got it. Um, and just be kind of proud of yourself. I've set an evening alarm now to shut off the phone Ooh. that I just, cause I, I'm spending too much time on there. I think with all, all everything that all of us do, uh, you want to provide good content. You want to get everything out there, but I think that comes at a, as a cost at well as well. And 
that was something that I started the last couple of weeks is I'm setting an evening alarm to where now I've got to hold myself accountable to, to shut everything off and start to get ready for bed. I'm going to, I'm taking your advice. Cause that's I, something I struggle with too. I think we all struggle with it. Like, you know, part of being human, being on the path is you're going to have ups and downs and you're going to fall off. Sometimes you're going to fall off the path. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so part of that is not beating yourself up too much, bring yourself back when you need to. And, I think that shows the sign of maturity and, and really evolving as a human is you are going to screw up. You know what? Don't beat yourself up too much about it and get yourself back on the path. And that's okay to fall off for a couple of days here and there. It happens to everybody, but try to find a way to pull yourself back if, if needed. Um, I just think people are way too hard on themselves and unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about setting boundaries. I think people are way too unrealistic now uh, because of social and everything that's out there. I just think people's expectations of what they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be. I just think there's some unrealistic expectations Mm. out there uh, of living a a life well lived because, again, you're seeing everybody's best bolt and and not taking everything with a grain of salt that you're seeing. Yeah, it's it's kind of what we've been naturally just seeing now over the last couple of years, man. So you're like, I, I got to do this, this, and this. And if I don't do this, I, I, I lost. I'm an awful person. Lose. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I suck. I, I'm not, I'm not on track. I'm not going to make a million. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. It's like, no, dude, like you failed just like Tiger Woods has failed. Just like Michael Jordan's failed. Just like uh, the presidents have failed, right? Just anybody you go out across the board, anywhere you go. Um, everybody's experiencing failure, man. It's just how you, how do you get back on track? Like you said, right after that starts to happen. Hey, what are some final thoughts or, and where can people find you? Yeah, they, one, thank you. Very, very blessed to be on here. I've had man. a great time, excited. by the way. Had a great this time. has been great, man. You're awesome. And what you guys are doing is incredible. It's been very impactful for a long time. So thank you um, for all the support you do for coaches and players. Um, for us, you can find us at Major University on Twitter. For some reason, the league didn't didn't register. So we got Major University on Twitter, Major League University on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, um, where else? YouTube. Right, we got the YouTube channel up there. Um, Champion School Podcast is on all platforms, and then Austin Byler on all platforms too. Hey, what are some other mental health resources? Say a coach that is out there that has a kid that's struggling, or even a kid that's listening and right, right now that's struggling. Where can they reach out to for some mental health resources? Yeah, I think any doing an easy Google search is always an easy way. Um, there's a lot of good content on Twitter too. Twitter's got some really good stuff. I think finding a, a local professional though, especially if it's something that's deeper and, and a counselor, um, and, and I don't want to say I'm biased, right? But, but finding some sort of uh, counseling agency that does it well. And to me, the Christian ones are the ones that are the most successful. Now you don't have to go the faith way because I know everybody's different. But um, from what I've heard, some of the local churches will actually go pay for you to go get counseling. I know ours does that. So they have like an allotment of a couple million dollars that they just pay for anybody who needs counseling, male, female, kid, adult, to go out there and get free counseling for a month or two just to see how it works. But the biggest thing, find somebody who's licensed, who's professional in this thing. If it's something that's that deep, um, if it's something that's kind of, hey, we can just attack it early, then find somebody who can help you be successful. But that would be huge. Find a local professional. Yeah, professional, because sometimes people need medication. And that, that, that's a piece yep. of it, too, yep. that sometimes to get the wiring reset and, you know, everything that goes through your brain, your dopamine, mm-hmm. neurotransmitters, sometimes you need a little bit of help uh, from the medication side. Again, I'm not a medical professional, so don't take my advice on that. But just from anecdotal evidence that it has helped people uh, just from the medication piece. So, again, it's, um, you know, you can save a life if, if you get mm-hmm. people pointed in the right direction. Ask for help. 
ask for help. I mean, just go do it. And if you have somebody who's struggling, a kid, an athlete, a child, whoever it is, just go get them some help if they're not going to ask for it. And just, hey, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but um, at least you're working towards it in a positive light. Austin, thanks so much. I can't wait to see you in Chicago. Can't wait, Ryan. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Have a good day. The ability to be open and vulnerable is difficult. Appreciate Austin's willingness to open up on his own personal struggles. Something all of us as humans have to deal with. Now more than ever, we need to be there for those around us. We're all interdependent on each other. Please reach out to me if I can help in any way. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh